As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This latest episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is brought to you by Visa Network, working for everyone. As always, Paul Eaner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. What's up, Jay? Fired up for palindrome day. Oh. 12-02-2021. I, I, I appreciate I mean, you've become like... One of the, there's two things you stand for at this point. It's well three, Arby's, and concerts and palindromes. And I think that's a good. Those are you know to have three things that you're truly passionate about. You know, I mean, I think that's it's a, it's admirable. I, I don't know why I love palindromes, but I do. I you know what I I also love anagrams, but we can save that conversation for another day. Well, that feels like an off-season episode, Jay. I feel like we wait. Let's get into February, and we'll have an anagram episode. For now, uh, we'll just we'll we'll stick palindrome fun on the way at the end of today's episode. It it may be the most complicated yet interesting, simple for us uh, Bengals growler bet in history that Jay you've concocted. I can't wait. I'm excited about that. Um, we've got a lot to get to. Bengals, Chargers, Sunday, 1 o'clock on CBS. Uh, big game. Zach Taylor said on Wednesday, you know, he kind of think feels like it's like the biggest game of the year. And because two teams right in the mix of the playoff race, a lot on the line. Two teams that could see each other again in said playoffs. Um, and so you, you just, you never know. And the start of what could be a long-standing rivalry in the AFC between Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. And we're going to talk a lot about that today as well, uh, of course, as we, as we get into this game. Uh, we're going to do, take some reader questions. I got a mailbag coming Friday, and we had a uh, submission form set up 
uh, on The Athletic. If you're listening to this, get them in quickly. I'm going to be cranking those out Thursday night and Friday morning. So um, if you have some questions that you want to try to get in, I'm going to try to theme them up and get as many as I can answered for you. But I have some that we're going to get to here. Uh, so we'll go through. I got three reader submitted questions that we're going to answer for you. Uh, we're going to talk to Daniel Popper, our guy who covers the Chargers in L.A., who does a fantastic job. They're a very interesting team, a unique team. And unlike a lot of the games, I feel like the Bengals have been playing teams that we're very familiar with lately. Um, this is one that you're not, probably. And it's there's a lot to dive into there. And it was a really good conversation with Daniel that, that you had, Jay. So we'll... Um, We'll have that for you to kind of learn about the Chargers. And then we're talking about this game. You know, big game is a lot is a, a interesting matchups here. We'll have your run passer boots, our special growler bet, predictions, all of that coming your way today on HTPG. Let's kick it off with news. Uh, Riley Reef is kind of being limited and held out of practice on Wednesday and Thursday with the idea of him coming back Friday in some capacity. My Judging by what Zach Taylor had to say on Wednesday, it sounds like he'll probably be listed as questionable and they think he'll be wanting to gut it out and uh, and play. So probably the, one of the more optimistic views that you could have expected to hear about it on Wednesday, right? Yeah, and they need him. I mean, Isaiah Prince has played well, but are, are you really going to be comfortable with Isaiah Prince trying to block Joey Boza? That's, <laughs> that's not a recipe for success, I don't believe. No, it, yeah, you, I mean, you want it, you want to see Riley Reef out there, but I, you know, there's ways around it, and 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 I will say Isaiah Prince, I, I you know, he's held his own in every every chance and and played well, and he's certainly been good as a run blocker in that mm-hmm. in that role they've put him in. So if you're talking about the run game and physicality in the run game, you feel like you wouldn't maybe lose a ton there because he has done so well as in that in that role. I did ask Drew Sample when they're going to give some targets to Isaiah. <laughs> It's about time to throw one to him. It is, but you know, I asked Zach about that on Monday about, you know, when first and goal and you're blowing out the Steelers, do you ever think about, hey, let's throw one to Stanley? Let's kind of throw a bone to a guy, an unheralded guy. And he said, no, he learned that lesson long ago that it always blows up in his face when he tries to do something like that. So I don't, unless it's like a, it's something that just they get a look that they like, that they think that kind of play would be open, maybe they try it, but the, you know, the old Hugh Jackson days of, of throwing it to Jake Fisher all the time. I think Six those are times. gone. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, I want it. I want an Isaiah <laughs> Prince target. Uh, outside of that, um, you had a bunch of guys show up the injury report. You can run through that, Jay, for us. Everybody that kind of didn't uh, didn't play, didn't practice. I mean, what the few that we saw, you know, Darius Phillips on the side was on the bike. Um for a, a lot of the practice we mentioned reef obviously chris evans um yeah. is, is got that ankle thing going on there's a there's a, a bunch of action on the outskirts of the paul brown stadium turf yeah they they also sat trey hopkins who zach said that was probably going to be the case he got a little dinged up at the end of that steelers game he's listed as ankle i, I thought they announced it as knee in yeah, the maybe, maybe in the game <laughs> but they they've got it listed as ankle um, Darius Phillips, as you mentioned, is knee and calf. And then Auden Tate, who's been a thigh all along, is now a calf. And then you had a couple illnesses. Uh, Michael Thomas, the, the wide receiver, is out with, or was out with an illness. And then uh, defensive end Khalid Kareem, uh, same with an illness. And then Chris Evans is still battling that that ankle injury. He did not practice. Yes. And then uh, 
you know, a bunch of guys on the rehab field, Xavier Suofilo, Deontay mm-hmm. Smith, uh, out there kind of working on the side as well, who we haven't seen a ton of and, you know, can be there as replacements to, to pull off of IR if needed, uh, as, as that goes along. And maybe we see that down the line. And you know, I mentioned Wayne's, I mean, it's, there's even guys getting healthy on the side outside of, you know, how generally healthy they are as a team. You know, the the Phillips thing is interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Um, if he doesn't go, you know, you start thinking about what are you going to do at, at punt returner or kick returner. Um, you know, Phillips has certainly had some rough moments. Um, you know, you, you look what the options are. You had Tyler Boyd, Puka Williams back there kind of catching punts in practice. Uh, maybe we see Puka. Maybe it's Puka time. Yeah, or Trent Irwin. I mean, yep. he's he's been he's had limited chances, but he's I, I believe he's averaging over ten yards per return on punt returns. I don't know that they would use him on kick returns. I don't think I've seen him back there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's where Puka gets his chances on a kickoff because there's a, a good chance a lot of those are just going to end up as touchbacks anyhow. I'm, it is interesting that they they protected Puka uh, this week from the practice squad. Um, you know, if Chris Evans can't go, he just he and Darius Phillips can't go. He he gives you that backup in both spots. But he was he was one of those guys where he didn't look super sure. It's kind of like Darius Phillips when he started doing this, where very electric with the ball in his hands, but looked very unsure, kind of tracking the ball and catching it. And I, I'm I don't know where the trust level is yet of putting him back there in a game. Um, but it, I I think Trent Irwin would be the guy on punt returns. Who knows what they would do at kick return if Darius can't go? Yeah, the, yeah, you mentioned that. I mean, with the puka, with the two birds, one stone. You're talking about a guy at the back. If you're filling in for two potentially injured guys, I mean that that makes sense. With Evans obviously fulfilling that role as the receiver, I mean they basically had moved Williams to receiver in, in camp and preseason. So something to keep an eye on. We'll see how that all uh, goes forward. Uh, but generally, still very, 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 very healthy team as they head into this game uh, against the Chargers. Outside of that, no major news. Um, you know, a lot of the conversation this week is what you thought it would be. It's Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. And I, you know, <laughs> I think I think Jesse Bates dropped a catchphrase on us. And uh I enjoy it. There's one, there's one particular thing I enjoyed about it, and it's just the internet always does this. And I should stop being surprised by it, but it always does make me laugh. Where you know, Jesse Bates is was sort of asked, I guess, about if he had looked at quarterbacks during that draft and wondered who the Bengals would take. And after saying, obviously, you know, Burrow, he, he said, you know, it was, it's Joey B or nothing for me. And as he said, it just kind of stuck me. And I just sort of tweeted out, like, I don't know if Jesse Bates just said out a catchphrase, but uh, he says, it's Joey B or nothing for me. I come back, I walk out of the interview and already someone has sent me a mock-up of a t-shirt with like a, 2021 political logo, Joey B or nothing for me. And I'm like, it's so quick. <laughs> the turnaround is so quick now. I'm always just, I'm, I'm always impressed by that. I think Jesse even realized it once he said it. He had a, like a little smirk after he said it. Like, yeah, that sounded pretty good. I don't think that was his plan, but no. it, like as soon as it rolled off his lips, he's like, yeah, that, that did sound pretty good. Jay, you wrote about uh, sort of the first chance to watch Herbert versus Burrow, and I'm one that I, I do think is going to be a centerpiece of the AFC discussion here for a long time. 
going forward, I mean, you know, really, the, there's so many quality young quarterbacks, and now we drop Mac Jones into the mix amongst them this year in this conference that it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, Herbert and Burrow are always going to be sort of connected. Same draft. You know, they they were competing against each other for that rookie of the year spot. And and but we haven't gotten to see them go head that they're they're just they're such different quarterbacks. And I don't I don't I don't think there is any debate that both were great f- have proven to be the right picks for each team. I just think they were they were that for different reasons. Yeah, and and it's funny because that, that that whole 2020 season, everybody was talking about tank for Tua. And then, you know, Burrow, well, the whole 2019 season, they were talking about that. And then Burrow has that incredible year and he enters the picture. And it was, it, it, it always felt like Herbert was kind of on the outside there. And he really has kind of established himself as the best. If you look at the numbers and just the overall physical skills of the group, I mean, even. Even though they were close in the in the race for offensive rookie of the year when when Joe got hurt last year, Justin Herbert had better numbers and he just kept getting better and he set the the rookie record for touchdown passes and all of that. He's just you know he's got the prototypical big arm where you know Joe there has been questions about Joe's arm strength and he he makes up for it in other ways. They are totally different quarterbacks and I, I think we're gonna see that on Sunday because the, the, the chargers really kind of it, it they're letting Justin Herbert carry them. He is, they, their defense is bad and they're having to win these games in shootouts and, and everything's on his shoulders. And whereas Joe Burrow, that's not the case. They've got this great running game. They've got this efficient passing game. Um, it's, it's just different styles. Uh, but it was, it was interesting to hear Joe say, you know, for for the longest time that Herbert was the the heir apparent. Everybody thought he was going to be the number one overall pick, and even Joe never thought he had a shot at it. He was just some backup third string quarterback when he was at Ohio State, and it it shows you how fast things can change. But we didn't get a chance to see this last year because as great as as Justin Herbert looked in training camp, they went with Tyrod Taylor, and he plays one game and then has the unfortunate accident where the the team doctor punctures his lung with a needle giving him pain meds justin herbert jumps in never gives up the starting job um this this could be there's no guarantee that they play next year or the year after and everything's really fluid anyhow because they could change to an 18 game schedule but the, the way it's lined up right now the the bengals will host whatever AFC West team finishes in the same spot as them. So if they, if the Bengals finish second, the chargers finish second in their divisions this year, chargers come back to Paul Brown stadium next year. And then that same kind of thing is in play the following year, um, except the game would be at the site of the, the, the AFC West. And then that they're guaranteed to play the following year after that is just the whole AFC West plays the whole AFC North. So this really could kick off. It, it's, it's rare that you would play a team four straight years that's not in your division, but it could line up that way, and it could be a lot of fun when you know, when you have Burrow and Herbert leading both of these teams. It kind of reminds me of the Bengals and the Texans there for that long stretch yeah. where they were playing in the regular season, they were playing in the playoffs. It was like this weird thing where Cincinnati and Houston kept locking up, uh, and and maybe you see that now. I there's something about this. What I find interesting, you're right. 
Justin Herbert is is the prototype. And I love that you brought up the senior bowl Mike Brown comment. You know, <laughs> the idea, you know, the former player that was on the sideline saying, You watch, Mike Brown's gonna fall in love with this guy because, you know, he he looks like Carson Palmer, right? Yeah. Big, strong, huge arm, makes every throw. Like like that's who he reminds you of. And and there's nothing wrong with that, man. There is nothing wrong with that. Burrow plays in a different way. He is the opposite of that. He's like Tom Brady. You know, he he doesn't he's not gonna strike you when you see him on the field. He's gonna strike you when you see him play on Sundays. You know, he's he's not gonna be that guy that's gonna rip it sixty yards and what wait till you I mean, you're watching tape of Herbert when you really start going through it for Bengals fans that haven't really watched him uh or seen a lot of him, he just throws these ropes over and over and over again and it's it's it just changes the dynamic of the field you have to cover. I asked Jesse Bates about it yesterday as a center fielder. How does that change what you you do? Because when 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 you know a guy A will challenge you into the hole shots in the corner, up the seams, whatever and try to fit balls into spots that just other guys don't fit balls into. And and he's you know I'm going to probably have to take a couple steps back here and there but he's like I love it cuz normally I'm not getting challenged in those spots. Normally people aren't trying to squeeze balls by me because of, you know, the strength that he has of doing that. We talked about it last week against Pittsburgh. Bates feels like he's getting closer to getting some of those. Now, it was partially because of Big Ben throws the opposite of Justin Herbert's balls down the <laughs> field right now, but I I I think Bates relishes that challenge. Uh but, you know, he it just changes the way that you have to cover the deep portions of the field. The interesting thing about him this year is that they haven't really utilized him as much in that way. Where last year, he was just throwing these incredible big-time throws down the field. We haven't seen as much of that from them in this offense this year, but they've still been incredibly efficient. They've still been a great offense. Uh, it's just it's kind of looked different since so they've had new coaches, new coordinators, all that. Yeah, you've got, you've got a new scheme. Um, you've got Justin Herbert maturing as a quarterback, seeing more, uh, reacting more, um, you know, just being better at reading defenses. And and they weren't they weren't a good team last year. They they had to take those shots a lot of time, and and now they don't. They're 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 among I think they're seventh or eighth in points per drive. They are tied for last in drives. Their defense is so bad that. They can't afford to to have a turnover on offense because it's going to be forever before they get the ball back. And I think that's a big part of it too. Is you you take those shots down the the field, you kind of open yourself up for for interceptions. And they're they're trying to be more efficient. And but it's it, he can still make those throws when he needs to, and he can still he looks a lot like what we thought maybe Joe Burrow would look like in terms of getting out of the pocket and and making these these different kind of arm angle throws and making plays out of nothing. And, and that's really kind of been stilted for Joe because of the injury, but we are starting to see it a little more. Now he's getting more and more confidence in that knee. He is escaping the pocket a little bit more, but it's still nothing compared to all the RPOs that they run with, with Herbert in LA. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. One thing I'm glad you brought this up, Jay, and I want to talk about it to keep an eye on for Sunday. And that is drops and batted passes on the Chargers mm-hmm. side of things. Justin Herbert has as many drop passes on him as anybody in football this year, 28. Um, and up near the top and passes batted down or batted up. You know, a Bengals team looking for interception. We saw it last week. Uh, Denver gets their pick six off an Austin Eckler drop pass that pops up into the air. And and he's aggressive uh, in, in some of these throws he tries to make in the red zone. We saw an interception they had where he's just, he's just aggressive in spots. And it sometimes, and he throws it so hard all the time. I think guys have trouble catching it sometimes. It pops up into the air. He tries to fit balls. He's he's big and feels like he can throw over the top of linemen, and all of a sudden an arm comes up and a ball goes up in the air. Bengals team that has thrived off turnovers the last few weeks that feels like they need to create them. Tip drill week, you know? Tip drill week. Keep an eye on that. If the Bengals are going to get some turnovers, that could be a big way to see it unfold for you. Yeah, and I mean, as we record this, we're still 72 hours out from kickoff, but the expectation is rain throughout the game. That that can wreak havoc on, on a team that already has a lot of drops. It's it's amazing, too, because Keenan Allen is a very, very good receiver, and him and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler, they are all on pace for a career high in drops, if not already surpassed their career high in drops, each, per, each one of those players. It's... You know, you'll you'll hear Daniel Popper talk about this more in my conversation with him, but it's it's really been remarkable. And you know, one of those ways you get those those batted passes is when you get a push from your interior defensive line, and and the Bengals have certainly been doing that as well. So it it's something to keep an eye on Sunday. The the one element that I like about this discussion, and really this goes across what we're seeing in the league now, is so many is that there's so many different ways quarterbacks can be effective, different types of quarterbacks, different types of personalities, different types of leaders. And whereas in the past, the NFL and a lot of the old guard would pigeonhole, this is what a quarterback needs to be, right? Carson Palmer, you know, Mm -hmm. big, strong, throws the ball down the field, you know, got, got those kind of very intelligent leadership qualities, loud, rah, rah, you know, in people's faces, screaming on the sideline. And I do think the the way the league has changed in terms of the people making the decisions, you know, are, are more forward thinking, the way the, the players have changed and evolved as people, you know, and, and I think it's reflective of society in a lot of ways and how much more we are aware of, uh, of not just mental health in good ways, but in different ways that people connect mentally with others and the importance of that from the quarterback position 
and how people view it. Justin Herbert, you know, there's a lot has been made of him as an introvert, and there's good, a lot of really great stories that have been written about that. And I and and the Chargers respond to him that way, right? Like they they mm-hmm. there's kind of an embracing of of Herbert the introvert and wearing his he would wear his helmet and, and all this stuff, and and he he doesn't talk until Fridays, right? And and because he wants less of the cameras and all the stuff all around him, and and that's totally fine. I think there's an embracing of that's happened with the Chargers. It hasn't mattered. It's it's helped him connect, and he's still this great player. And, and with Burrow, he doesn't have all of those other things, but. This this personality was what made him the right fit for Cincinnati from the very beginning. The di- the leadership, the dynamic, the ability to put a city and 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 front office and locker room and everybody on his back and the way they respond to just who he kind of is as a person is such a big draw of what makes everybody play a lift all boats type guy. And he just has that special ability and. The processing and sort of the, the mensa mental level processing on the field, even though he doesn't have the strong arm, even though his ball to T. Higgins for 33 yards is kind of a lob, you know, but it's catchable. It goes to the right spot. It goes there quickly and accurately. And it's like both are great in their own way. They're just so very different. And I think that's the cool thing about this. And you could say this about Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Heck, even throw Mac Jones into this conversation. I mean, there's there's just so many different types of quarterbacks now that the league are league is embracing. It makes it so fun to watch them go head to head. And that's what make makes the fit. That I mean, I mentioned in that story where the the Bengals never saw Joe Burrow throw a football in person with their own eyes before they drafted him. They fell in love with him from the tape, obviously, but the conversations they had with him and, and knowing the kind of person he was and the leader he was and and, and he the, the whole culture element of what Zach was trying to build here, that made him the perfect fit. And they they would have loved to have taken Justin Herbert if something happened where, you know, Burrow wasn't available, if 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 he had another year of eligibility or whatever it might have been, if they if they weren't picking first. But it's 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 all about what's the right fit for you. So many times you just everybody wants to look at the combine numbers and the the arm strength and all this and say that that's the guy that should go first. That's the guy that should go second. That's the guy that should go third. And it's just not the way it works. It's it's these guys are they're humans. They are they have different makeup and you really have to get to know them and, and, and figure out which guy fits your scheme best and fits your culture best. And that's where I want to go next. And it's just we, you know, we get it. We we're we're in these conversations, press conferences with Joe Burrow every week, and and, and there a lot of it ends up being talking about defense and schemes and Joe Mixon and and relationships with receivers. And there's always all kinds of stuff. I, I that stuff gets very boring and repetitive, and I don't know how interesting it is all the time. I find him as a person very interesting. And I, I, I thought this was really just a cool conversation that happened um, on on Wednesday. It was prompted by the My Cause, My Cleats week and, of course, all the work he's done with the Athens Food Bank and, and everything there and is, is a part of this. And, and, and the question kind of came up about that and it went off on this tangent for a few minutes. I just want to bring it to you. It's, it's, it's just kind of Joe Burrow talking about handling who he is and understanding who he is and the impact he can have and how that has continued now as he's gone forward. Um, 
as a pro. Here's here's some. Uh, they did. By the way, they did bring the squeaky cart back, Jay. They well, it's a, we're it, we're inside now, which got, thanks to them for bringing us out of the cold tunnel and yes. back into the press conference room during the week. I do appreciate that, not having to like wear a jacket and uh, you know with my hoodie and, and and shake and shiver while we uh while it gets cold over to December. But we, but we still can't get close to the podium to put our uh, to put our recorders on there. So they brought the cart back out and blocked us off from being in front. So the cart remains, Jay, which is very exciting. And it's they haven't. WD forty it in a while. The, yeah. the squeak the card is back and the squeakiness of the card is back. I was listening to the the interviews yesterday and transcribing them and it was it was cracking me up every time they move it forward for people to stop the recorders, then move it back to the podium to start the next interview. You can it's not as loud as it used to be because it's on carpet, but it's still it's coming back. On that note, here's Joe Burrow from Wednesday. <laughs> It's, uh, it's my cause, my cleats week. Um, you're doing the cleats with the Hunger Elite Fund. Um, can you describe, uh, I guess, since that started last July, what the mission's been and the, the impact it's had? Yeah, it's had a big impact. It's really just to provide meals for people that need it in the area where I'm from. And, uh, you know, we've eventually, you know, the last number that I saw was a couple months ago. We ended up raising, at that point, over $6 million for people in the area. And so it's had a big impact and you know it's stories that i've heard that it really helped people so that's that means a lot to me when you start that did it, it has it been what you know what you hoped and what you expected it to be or is it surprising you a little bit you know it you know i never it really the whole thing started you know after my heisman speech and i didn't really expect anything to happen i was just saying what was on my mind what was in my heart and it kind of turned into this you know big thing that's helped a lot of people so you know, I don't know if I really expected it, it to come from, from anything at the beginning. And did you, have you seen the cleats? Uh, were you part yeah. of the process? What do you think? Yeah, they look, they look great. Last year, um, I did a, a contest at my high school um, for, for art students that to design the cleats, and then we picked you know, my favorites. And so and it's kind of similar to those last year. I didn't get to wear the ones last year, but, you know, they're similar. You, did you feel like you had a grip of the platform before the Heisman's, before all of that, of what it could, that could do? And did you have, feel like you had an understanding like that, or was that all a thing that was just mind-blowing throughout all of that? Yeah, I, I had no understanding of, of that. Well, I wouldn't say that. I had an understanding, but not to the magnitude of, of what it was. And, you know, after that moment, I really had to sit down and think about, you know, what I would say to you guys and what I would say in the media just because of the, I know the impact that it can have on not just my life, but on the lives of a lot of different people, positive and negative. How, how much has that affected how you choose a lot of things off the field, whether it be, I mean, talk, you stay with Lord's Tom Lord, wherever, where your endorsements go, what, how you do that. Has that has that affected the way you decided to act, uh, you know, as a, you know, your own brand? Absolutely. You know, have to, when you're in the position that I'm in and a lot of these guys across the league are in, you really have to think about everything that you do, whether it's going on vacation, going into your endorsement deals, and you really have to think about this critically in every way. Is, is there any story that you've heard that hits home to you, that you've helped, that $6 million has helped? Is there any story that stuck with you at all? Or? Yeah, there, there's one that really sticks with me that, you know, growing up, you know, we knew kids that you know, had to go to the food bank because they didn't have a lot, but, you know, nobody really talked about it, and I heard stories from... You know, teachers that said, 
you know, little kids were coming up to him when they heard that, and they were like, hey, you know, my family goes to the food bank. They were excited about it. You know, it wasn't a thing where you were trying to hide it, and so that, that meant a lot to me. Your mom so, being in education, maybe, how much of an impact did that have on your awareness of all that? Yeah, she's, you know, where, where that story came from, and that, that story sticks with me. I would guess that you're saying that kids would kind of hide it. I guess when you were in school, kids, kids would kind of hide it, right? They didn't want people Yeah, nobody, you know, we knew that people had to do it because, um, you know, there's not a lot of means in the area, but you know, nobody really talked about it. Are there any other things that you want to do in terms of giving back, maybe back in your hometown now that you've kind of seen the impact you've made with this one? Yeah, there's always stuff that you can do. You know, I haven't really sat down and thought about it during the season, but that'll be something that I continue to do going forward. <laughs> there is Joe Burrow and the cart uh, from Wednesday's press conference. Here's the thing. There's actually a question in my in my mailbag submission form this week about what are some, you know, traits of players today that are important that you didn't have to have in the 80s and the 90s and how in the modern NFL and how things have changed. And there's some on the field stuff that I think I would answer that with. And I think I will in the mailbag, but awareness of yourself, awareness of your brand, awareness of how to handle the platform and the attention that you get, particularly when you are a star is massive for today's athlete. And, we see it ruin some, and I, you know, I'm. This is not about shade on anybody else, but you see situations that have happened now with 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 Odell Beckham, for example, right? Mm. And, and there's like social media, and like parents are complaining, and he's had, and there's been issues with quarterbacks in both play, and both, and, and it can unravel things very quickly. And, and if you're not aware of what you're putting out there, and and the way things are going. Uh, with how you're perceived on your platform, it, things can change, and, and, and there and that is everybody has a different situation like that. Some good, some bad. Joe Burrow's acute awareness of his platform and of his brand and of how he presents himself, not just hey, where can I make some coin off the field? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so thought out. And granted, he has a team <laughs> and a team that's all going to be uh, you know compensated lucratively here very soon, but. It, and the thought process that goes into that for him and how much he takes that into account and thoughtful he is with it, I think is just a perfect example of what players and staff and front office see from him on a daily basis across every level of the team. And it's just part of how, why people respond to him so well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point that it all goes back to that Heisman speech, like he said. And that, that could have, he could have, I, I do, I, I think that really took him by surprise the way that took off. And you, there's one of two ways you could go with that. You could, like you said, automatically be like, Hey, anything I say, people are going to respond to where, where can I go start pitching things and, and getting free stuff and getting money. And, and he didn't want to do that. And it's just, he just has this different makeup and all, all that stuff about the, you know, his platform and, and how seriously he, he looks at all that stuff was, was impressive, but it, it, it wasn't surprising. Cause you, even though we were not in the locker room, we can't really talk to him and get to know him as a person. You, you still, 
he puts his true self out there in these press conferences. He's not just a cliche robot. So that, that didn't really, it was impressive, but it didn't surprise me. The, the one thing that from that conversation that it really kind of, I don't know, surprised me a little bit. Maybe it shouldn't because we know who he is, but Ben baby asked him, you know, it's state championship week in, in high school football. And he asked him how much he thinks about that game. And Joe said all the time. He's still, he is, he's making millions of dollars. He's an NFL quarterback. He's a Heisman trophy winner. He's a national champion. He's done so many great things already since high school. And he still thinks about that high school championship state championship game that they lost all the time. And he said, because it's a championship that got away that, that I lost. And for people that don't know, uh, Athens high school lost that game 56 to 52. It's not like Joe Burrow laid an egg in that game. He played great and they just, they lost to Toledo central Catholic. And the fact that that, that game still eats at him. I, I, I think that should encourage Bengal fans because there's, there's going to be playoff losses to come. And if it, if it's something that drives him to not let that happen again, I, I, I think that's a good thing. He was quick to point out there were some PATs missed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kicker. I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't know if Joe's dialing up his high school kicker often, but I'm gonna guess not. <laughs> Look out, Evan! Don't be missing PATs in the playoffs. You thought you thought college kickers were shaky, man. I, <laughs> high school kickers are the shakiest. I, I can't tell you how many high school playoff games I have covered where you just watch the kicker line up for a PAT and just say, "Oh my god, here we go." And I love how I love how many high school kickers. And there was a particular area that I covered. I'm sorry for this tangent, but I, just, I, it, I always think of this when I think of that. Is is they just whatever reason kicking was just not taught well in this particular area where I was in Georgia and every kicker was like some fat lineman who wore number 78 and he would take two steps directly back. And when it got snapped, he would take two steps forward and toe kick it with that like awkward fat man toe kick. And you never knew where it was going to go. And it's like, I just remember saying every playoff game when, yo, uh, Monroe would lose 21 to 20. Like, can anyone around here just find a kicking coach? And pull a kid from the soccer team. How many games are you going to lose until number 78 with the toe kick doesn't cost you until we just fix this, you know? Uh, but anyway, so it was, I, I think all of that, all of that we're talking about here is part of the picture you paint of Burrow off the field. And that really is, is, has always been the selling point. And it, I just, I think mm. I, I enjoy this conversation, uh, particularly in reference to Herbert who does things in a totally different way, but his players still respond to, and he's been great, uh, you know, obviously for, for LA and one offensive rookie of the year and, and all of those things. All right, let's just take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's flip forward here. I do want to get in some reader questions before we get to Daniel Popper and talk about this game specifically um, in, in a little bit greater detail. Uh, we had a few. Of course, I feel we're, we got we have to answer Paul Malloy's questions, Jay, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, every man. time. Every, every time. I mean, you, if, if anybody else, you know, we, we accept bribes. 
So if you want to always have your question answered, you can always just give us very nice gifts. Um, and and uh, so we'll start with Paul, helicopter ride man himself. Uh, he asked, what are two things that we would ask Santa for? Point, pointing out that, you know, he doesn't want to have greedy kids. Maybe this is his kids. He said, we're, we're like his kids. He doesn't want to be spoiled. So only two. So, so we're not going to be spoiled. What are two things you would ask Santa for for the Bengals this year? A bubble. <laughs> gotta have an indoor practice facility yeah it's a good one it's a especially good if you one. don't have to pay for it if it's a gift from santa why it's not really a gift to all of us yes <laughs> um how, football wise i i would i would say i, I like where joan is going so i don't want to say a dominant left tackle but I, I think another really good offensive lineman um be it a center a guard just just that, that offensive line's been better than we expected this year, but I, I think if you really want to take this offense to the next level, uh, one more elite offensive lineman would be a great gift. I'm going to start with a home playoff game. and not be, They've played well on the road. This isn't actually mm. at all about the Bengals. It's about me. I, I really <laughs> don't want to travel in January and adding another trip, and they have a chance to win the North. And we could end this season with like just a million home games in a row. And we really hardly even have to hit the road in the winter, which is always such a pain. So really, this is selfish. It's really about me. So sorry, Paul, I'm becoming spoiled. Even though you try to keep this from happening to me, sometimes your kids just live their own life. Okay. And they become something you don't like them to be. And uh, I'm saying, making this about me. And I'm saying, how about if they're going to go to the playoffs, how about a home playoff game so we can uh, not have to worry about traveling, you know, somewhere like, New England on January 16th or something. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. I also, I have a second, my second thing. Uh, my second thing for the Bengals is John Ross snaps. Yes. As they he's, still kind of await John Ross to pass the threshold, he's probably going to need to qualify the ba- qualify himself as a comp pick and the formula to flip over to give he, basically John Ross playing a few more snaps over the course of the rest of the season will get the Bengals their fourth probably a fourth round pick to qualify for losing Carl Lawson. So a fourth round pick still on the line. John Ross getting closer when the few healthy New York Giants is he's getting closer to passing that threshold. So for the Bengals sake, adding another fourth round pick, which we know they've done pretty well with in the past. It's all on John Ross's body to hang in there. So for the, for the Bengals for asking Santa, how about a few more Ross snaps? I think he's already crossed the threshold. It's a matter of if he can stay there. Is it is, is it based on total snaps or is it it's based, based on, on percentage? percentage of the total for the season? So he's, he's and he's at he's, he's at twenty five point four right now, and he has to stay above twenty five. So he's got to hang in there. It's not looking good. He's getting like eleven, ten every game. They, they, they he needs to but get more playing time to get that fourth. They round have point. injuries at receivers. They, they do again. John Ross snaps every week. <laughs> I, I have this vision of like. Duke Tobin having to revisit the John Ross pick every Monday morning when he opens up to get an update on how many snaps John got and just son of a just continues to bite me in the ass, you know. Uh, all right, so that was a great question there. Let's uh, another question from the mailbag submission was a run passer boot. Actually, two people asked me the exact same run passer boot: uh, Connor K and Callum L. I believe L and uh, they said run past your boot. Well, most likely to happen chase offensive rookie of the year, Joe Burrow, comeback player of the year, Zach Taylor, coach of the year. Well, I can give you the odds on all of those. The 
most likely uh, of these to happen, according to the odds makers, our good friends at BetMGM. Uh, Jamar Chase is second behind Mac Jones for offensive rookie of the year at plus 225. You have Joe Burrow second for comeback player of the year behind Dak Prescott. He's at plus 600. Coach of the year, you have Zach Taylor fourth behind Bill Belichick, Cliff Kingsbury, and Matt LaFleur at plus 1,000. So we know what the odds makers at BetMGM would say, but what say you, Jay? Yeah, I'm booting Burrow for comeback player of the year. I don't, I don't think he can play well enough or Dak Prescott can play poorly enough for him to overtake Dak Prescott. Is as gruesome as that injury was for Dak and for him to be back playing this way. And yes, Joe's injury was serious and it was a grueling rehab, but those ACL injuries, you see them every year. People come back from those. It's, it's not that unique. Um, I just, I think there's zero chance that, that Burrow could win that award. So I'm, I'm going to boot that zero? one. Yeah. And, unless something happens to Dak, which I don't want to speak it into existence, but I just, I don't, it, he's so far behind now. I mean, hmm. Burrow's plus 600, Dak's minus 500. I don't think that gap can be overcome. Um, I'll run with Taylor coach of the year because kind of the same reason I don't, it's odd when it's not a quarterback winning offensive rookie of the year and chase got off to that great start, but he's kind of, he's been average the last few weeks and, and Mac Jones has taken off and he's got a huge lead. And I don't, I don't see chase overtaking Mac Jones. Um, but I, I could see the Bengals, with all these home games, uh, staying hot, uh, getting on a nice run here, if they win the division, which isn't out of the question, um, I'm not. I'm not so sure it matters what New England does. I mean, it's yes, Belichick's doing it with a rookie quarterback, but we've seen him do it before. He's arguably the greatest coach in NFL history. I, I think. I think people would vote for Zach Taylor if they end up winning the division. So I'll run with him, pass on Chase, and, and boot Burrow. I buy your logic because it's a matter of who these awards traditionally go to. I mean, these, the Zach Taylor idea, the the coach of the year, always goes to the guy who pulls a team from nowhere to somewhere. And so he has still has the chance to do that. Jamar Chase – Jamar Chase, even if he has a great second half, that award almost always goes to the quarterback. I mean, Justin Jefferson had one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen by a receiver last year yeah. as a rookie, and Herbert still beat him for the award. So you could see the same thing kind of going that way. Even if Chase does have a string of games here that are great again, and you know he ends up with 1,400 yards or whatever, Mac Jones continuing to just play like he is and New England making the playoffs – probably has even just because that's the way that these things go so i i i kind of agree with you but i, I still am going to run with chase because I, I i think there's still a chance that chase could put up have another run you know what are we going to see as these teams now are like well we can't let joe mixon beat us you know and and well we can't let well, t higgins and t- at some point like chase is going to have some more big big games and I, I think there's a chance you could see his numbers get up there. And I don't, you know, Mac Jones is on a very nice run. But I, will New England continue to be like this? How long will that continue? Maybe it does. But I think there's a chance it doesn't. And I just, you know, LaFleur, Kingsbury, Belichick, there's so many teams I think are more likely to keep her on the table and, and, and keep these guys ahead of Taylor that that I'm going to 
I'm going to keep him back, even though I do think the award does set up for him. Um, my last one was a question from Brian P in the mailbag submission. And um, it, it's, it's a, a good question, but I, I want to, it's a question about comments that Zach Taylor made about communication with ownership. And partially it was asked about, you know, him being brought back um, for a third year and sort of the continuity within the system. And then at the end, of Wednesday's press conference, Kelsey Conway from the Inquirer asked something about essentially, you know, you have ties to Oklahoma. Everybody's college job is open. Was that something you'd ever be open to? And he had an interesting response to that. I tweeted out these sort of in in written form, but I just I, I thought people should should hear them. I'm going to hear them, and I'm going to bring you the question that Brian P asked me about them. Uh, so insert squeaky cart, uh, and here comes Zach Taylor uh, from Wednesday's press conference. <laughs> the decision was made that you were going to come back for year three. How important do you think it was year three of the system for Mike and, and Katie and everybody uh, about the, the vision in the future of it? How big of a factor do you think that was? Well, probably a big factor. You know, it's, it's you, you need to show progress. And, um, you know, that that's... Um, that's why you just you're you're always honest and have upfront communication, and it's not like we just speak once a month or once a year, you know. So you can constantly um, make sure everybody's involved on, on the direction that things are headed, and um, that's why there's really no better place to work in this league than right here. And I mean that, you know, just because of the communication that's um, so transparent, and and uh, it's awesome to get to experience. Not everyone needs to see it like I do, you know, um, but. Uh, I think that's really important, and, and I would imagine not every franchise has that. We do, which is cool. Um, but uh, but ultimately, you have to show progress on the field um, for the fans. They, they buy the tickets, they show up to the games, and they, they want a good product on the field. And um, So it's it's fun to, to be able to win at home in front of these people that, like I've said before, spend a lot of their money and their time, and they have a lot of pride, too. They want to spend that six days talking about a big win. Um, you know, and they say they got their job and, and getting ready for the next one. And uh, that, that is very important to us. And uh, we've often talked about this home stretch that we have with a lot of home games coming up. And um, this, in a lot of ways, feels like the biggest game of the year to us up to this point. You know, I know we've had divisional games that felt that way, but um, this is a team that's right in the thick of it in the playoff race. Uh, they're coming to our stadium. Um, and in of all the games we've played this year, we, we need the support of the fans more than any other. And we need it to be loud from the uh, when we announce the defensive starters running out on the field. Uh, I want I want the other team to feel that from the moment the environment that we've created here. And we got to keep building off. And I want it to be better and better every single week that passes in the season as we got whatever four more home games. Um, you know that's that's a. Uh, we got to give the fans something to cheer about, and I want them to show up and, and cheer as loud as they can to make it hard for this team. Um, based off everything that's happened this week in college football, and I'll preface this by saying I know you're only focused on the Chargers, mm -hmm. but given your ties to the University of Oklahoma, your name has come up as a potential target for them. Would you have any interest if that were to come across your desk? No, absolutely not. We, we put in too much work here. I've got too much respect for um, an organization that took a chance on, on a young guy that not many people would and have the patience to, to stick through two difficult years uh, with this vision in place of nothing that's been completed yet, just just um, so absolutely there's there's zero percent chance that we'd ever consider something like that. So th those were the uh, the comments from Zach Taylor. You know, I w w we talk about 
coaches and ownership and relationships in lots of different ways. And it's always a popular topic here on this podcast due to the unique nature of the Bengals ownership. And, and but I, I do think, you know, th- this group does need to feel like they have to find a unique fit for them. And I do think both sides felt like from the very beginning, they were the unique fit for each other. And I was glad that he mentioned, you know, I would never turn my back. You know, he knows how important loyalty is here. I would never turn my back on an ownership group that took a chance on a young guy that he basically said it probably didn't deserve it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like we all knew. And and it's the first time you really hear him kind of talk openly about that, like understanding the chance that they took on him. And, and and how early they went in on him, betting on him being, what did you talk about last week? We have the ability to improve as coaches and betting on that, that he had the right personality and he was the right guy for this place and this team and this city. It would just take some time for him to grow. And, and him having a genuine sense of gratitude for that. I, I just, I, I thought they were interesting comments and, and, and worth noting. Brian P's question. Zach's comments about the communication with ownership. Where does he rank in the pecking order with Duke? Duke Tobin, director of player personnel. Are they equals to Mike and Katie, or does Zach have to go through Duke? The rest of the family are in lockstep, right? I always get the feeling the Bengals front office would make a terribly boring soap opera. Uh, that's correct. Uh, yes. I would I would agree with you uh, at the end, unless you you like long dinners at Frisch's. Um, you know, I don't I don't know how how interesting it would be, uh, but I will say. It, they're di- they're different than any anybody else in that respect, and I thought he sort of put that in the light with his comments about how there is such a communication here compared to ownership groups elsewhere that just doesn't exist. And I don't know how much people really understand, or any of us really have a true understanding of every single ownership group uh, in the league. But so many, the owner is completely withdrawn, completely outside. You never see him around. I we talk about it all the time about how Mike Brown is there on the golf cart at every single practice. That is not something that exists elsewhere. Like it in truly engaged ownership to that level. And you may hate that and you may not like Mike Brown and you may disagree with a lot of things that have happened over the years. But what, what Zach I think is saying is, is, is kind of answering of the question is that everybody is sort of in that inner circle and, and, and in conversations every single day about everything because Mike is so invested in the day to day in 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 understanding it and watching it, and he is there every day. But he's there as an observer. He's he's not interfering in any way with practice or interacting. Even I mean, you rarely see. There might be other people that walk over and, and, and chat with him during practice, but it's none of the coaches are. I mean, they're busy doing their own thing. I I don't know where because they. They keep this this so tight, the 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 whole pecking order, and you you don't get that inside look of what's going on in there. But you have to think that that Zach's voice is getting louder and stronger the, as he as he wins, um, as he's here longer. I, I still think it's you know Duke is probably a little bit higher up when it comes to to draft prep type of stuff, and that but but in the the day to day operations. You know, Zach's right there. He, he has conversations with Mike every day. Um, he's he's forever indebted to them for taking a chance on on a guy with a young guy with a pretty thin resume. It's it, it's kind of, it's a hard one to answer because you don't really know 
what goes on behind those closed doors, you have a pretty good idea. But I, I do. I, I think Zach's voice is is right there with everybody else's. That's just the way this this front office is operated. I think it's like anything. I mean, you you know, there's going to be some things that if the owner and ownership decides they they really care about and they want to do, they're gonna do. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we know the nature of this group. But, but I I do think that. All you can say is they have given him every chance to build his team the way he wants to, despite it not looking good for a while. I mean, two years of 625 and one, and look at all they let him do over the course of the offseason and gutting the roster and letting a lot of beloved names go because they understood that that was what needed to happen. And, and, and you have seen that connection between them and, and player personnel and kind of having a real focused identity in the way they've attacked free agency in the draft. And I think that has shown itself over two straight off seasons. And, um, you know, and you're right, that's only going to grow now as it's shown to pay off the understanding of the type of player that he wants, the type of culture he wants to build and the importance of that. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. It's sort of a long way to get around it. And I, but I do think we can definitively say you do not want uh, as much as popular as all my Bengals was on 700 WWE 80s, <laughs> I, I don't think you want uh, that. Re- you don't want to watch that on a daily basis. Um, let's talk game, and that means let's start by going to LA. Jay, you talk with our guy Daniel Popper, who does an incredible job covering the Chargers uh, with great insight on on this team. So uh, let's let's go out to that conversation. Daniel, how you doing? Doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. Looking forward to this game. I I think this is going to be uh, an interesting one. Um, obviously for the Bengals, they're all interesting right now. Uh, I, I wanted to start with the chargers. Um, I, I just kind of, what, what has happened? I mean, they started four yeah. and one and they're two and four now. What, what have you seen that's kind of led to this slide? Yes. Yeah, so I, I think big picture, the defense has not been good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where you sort of have to start. And obviously Brandon Staley, you know, emerged on NFL coaching radars because of what he did with the Rams defense last year, but it hasn't really materialized with this group. Their run defense has been a problem. It was really bad early in the season. They've been better since the bye week in week seven, but they had a little bit of a step back on Sunday against Denver. Um, And then they had a really good pass defense early in the year. They went through some injuries. And since the bye week, it's been, you know, a bottom five pass defense in the league. You know, you look at some of these efficiency metrics, they're 23rd in defensive DVOA, they're 29th in defensive EPA per play, they're 31st in third down defense. They have not yeah. been able to get off the field, um, and that's having a massive impact because the Chargers rank last in the league in offensive drives. So the defense isn't getting off the field, and you have a really good, efficient offense, but you're not giving them enough chances, and the margin for error is so small on that side of the ball because of the limited possessions. I would add that their special teams are the worst in the league. Um, They regularly have five or more rookies on the field, whether it's kickoff coverage, punt team, punt return, any of those groups. It's a lot of young players, and Brandon Staley is really trying to build that from the ground up. Um, And then, you know, early in the season, they were like on a historic pace in terms of their third down efficiency and their fourth down efficiency. And Brandon Staley obviously got a lot of acclaim for the decisions he was making, but they started the season seven for seven on fourth down. It really was eight for eight because they had a crucial pass interference penalty on a fourth and nine against the Chiefs that really set up that victory. And they've regressed in that area since. You know, they, you're not going to you're not going to be 100 percent on fourth down for an entire season. Um, they're four of eleven since that point, so I think you're seeing some regression in that area. And altogether, you know, you put it together and, and you say, okay, the four and one start probably set these high expectations that were unrealistic. And what we've seen from this team over the last six games is probably closer 
to what they are as a ball club. You, you mentioned the, the Staley hiring, and they did. They kind of bucked a trend there. Everybody's going and getting young offensive guys. They go get a young defensive guy. Is is there any grumbling that maybe a mistake was made there? Is, are people willing to be patient where, hey, it's going to take a while for him to get his players in here to play his system? Right. No, I, I don't think there's any grumblings. Like, it's pretty clear to me that they got the right guy. Um, the one thing with Brandon Staley is, you know, he came up as a defensive coach, but this guy played quarterback in college and he has a really firm understanding of all three phases. The way he communicates to his players and also to the media, um, it's very apparent that that's a strength of his is distilling complex topics into palatable information. Um, they got this higher right and offensively they've been pretty darn good. Um, second in the league in DVOA, second in EPA per play second EPA per drive. Um, they maybe haven't scored the ball as well as you'd like given that efficiency. But to me, you know, the issues are not offensive as much as they are defensive. And I think you bring up a good point. You know, all of these players, not I should say all of them because they signed, they drafted Asante Samuel Jr. But a large majority of these defensive starters were brought into playing Gus Bradley's scheme. And as we all know, that's the cover three heavy Seattle scheme. Um, and you couldn't have a more different defense bringing in Brandon Staley from the Vic Fangio tree. A lot of split safeties versus Gus's scheme, which is a lot of single high safeties. Um, just very different in terms of the philosophies. Gus is all about simplifying things to allow young players to play fast. Brandon Staley is all about complexity, disguise, um, rotations, post-snap, all of that kind of stuff. So you have, in a number of ways, you have a lot of players that were drafted or signed to play in a specific scheme that are now you know, trying to play and be implemented into a very different scheme that's on the you know, polar opposite end of the spectrum. So it's going to take some time, as you said, to get the players in here that he wants that fit perfectly with the scheme. And I think he's just trying to find a way to make it a good enough defense to win games with the personnel that he has that might not be, you know, perfect fits at every position. You know, on the offensive side, everybody's, you know, focused on Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm just curious. I'm looking at his numbers and, they, they look very similar to last year, except maybe his interception percentage is a bit higher. Um, have you seen growth from him, or does it seem like it's just kind of been a, an extension of his rookie year? Yeah, I, I personally have seen growth. Um, you know, the same sort of things pop up that they did as a rookie, just his playmaking ability, his ability to throw off script, um, his accuracy down the field, his arm strength athleticism, all of that kind of stuff. I think he's a better quarterback now than he was last year because he has a much better understanding of what opposing defenses are trying to do to him. Um, and he, I think he's making quicker decisions. I think overall he's making better decisions. Um, he's operating better in the timing and rhythm of the offense. But it's going to take some time. Like This is a really complex offensive system that Joe Lombardi brought over from the Saints. Um, the reason they were successful there was because they had Drew Brees, one of the smartest mm -hmm. quarterbacks, one of the best processes in the history of football. And Justin Herbert is going to need to bank experiences in order to get to that level. Like he has to see a lot of stuff. He has to go up against Bill Belichick multiple times and Vic Fangio multiple times and Mike Zimmer multiple times before he's able to bank all of the experience he needs to navigate through some of the designer looks that these great defensive coaches are throwing at him. Um, you know, the interceptions are up, but I think that's a little bit misleading because a couple of them were the result of drops that I wouldn't necessarily put on him. So if you take two of those interceptions away, he's got 24 touchdowns and eight picks. And it's mm. you don't have that double digit number in the intercept yeah. in the interception uh, column, which you know can lead people to believe that he's making more mistakes. Um, 
And so, you know, moving forward, I only expect him to get better as he gets more comfortable in the offense and, uh, you know, he banks more of those experiences against some of the game's great defensive coaches. You mentioned the drops. I mean, what in the heck is going on there? It's, I mean, Williams, Eckler, Allen, they don't have a history of it, but it's like that they're all just way up this year. Is there anything you put your finger on? Yeah, it's something I've been trying to figure out for a while because, you know, you bring up that stat early in the season when there's a small sample size and everyone's like, oh, it's a statistical aberration. You know, these guys are some of the best receivers in the league, you know, namely Keenan Allen. Austin Eckler has been has a sure hands his entire career. Uh, even Mike Williams has really excellent hands. And it's like, what's going on here? And today I asked Brandon Staley again, like, listen, at what point does this go from statistical aberration to like significant issue that has to be addressed? Because there is a point where you have, you know, 29 drops on the season, 11 games in, you're like, what is going on here? And he said, you know, they're only 11 games into this group being together. Now, I know Keenan, Mike, Austin all played with Justin last year, but it's a very different offensive scheme. And so is there some of that at play, some continuity stuff in a new scheme with a bunch of new offensive line starters? Does that factor into the timing, the rhythm of the offense, which all leads to drops? I think there's some of that. Um, you know, Austin Eckler's drop on Sunday that led to the pick six is a, is, is a good example. They ran a four verts concept and Eckler was sort of the safety valve um, off to the split to the right of the formation. They cleared everything out. Eckler was relatively uncovered. He was Justin thought he was going to stay where he was and just hit him on a little smoke. He starts cutting in on more of a slant route. The ball's a little bit behind him. So that kind of miscommunication, it's something they hadn't repped a lot in practice. And so that's where you could say, okay, maybe that is a little bit of a factor. But at the end of the day, and I think Keenan Allen put it well today, like you just got to catch the football. And Austin said the same thing after the game. Like these are very talented players getting paid a lot of money. Like it's your job to go out there and catch the football, go execute. And I think that's more what it comes down to. Yeah, and it's amazing how the light can just kind of the switch can just flip because we, we've seen that here in Cincinnati. Jamar Chase was dropping everything in the preseason, and he comes out his, his first game in the opener. The first pass wasn't an easy one; he had to think about. It. He had to really go get it. He caught it, and he has had a couple drops since then. But it just it, it hasn't been the issue that it was earlier. I, I imagine all three of those guys are going to get it figured out. Um, right. What. You know, I guess you say young quarterback, rookie coach, new scheme, all those that that kind of lends itself to some inconsistency. But the 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 way it's happened, it, it's kind of been jarring. I mean, they they the Chargers go from scoring forty seven against Cleveland, and then they get six the next week against Baltimore, and that's forty one against Pittsburgh. The next week, it's thirteen against Denver. Is there it, it, anything you put your finger on there, or is it anything that they've discussed? Is is how they yeah. can level this off and and not be so inconsistent? Right. It, it isn't just one thing and that's what makes it so difficult. Mm-hmm. And like, as you know, there are only so many plays in a football game that flip a game, right? You're not yeah. talking about, you know, 50 possessions here. Like you would in like a basketball game, for example, like here, you're talking about three, four plays that flip a game. So if you have a crucial drop on a third and six and you're only getting seven drives in the game, like that could flip a game. Um, and so it's different issues at different times. So Say there's a drop on a third and six. Justin misses a read on one play. They have a holding penalty on another series, right? That's three possessions that are shot out of seven, right? So I think it's it's mistakes popping up at different times. And then the margin for error is so small because the defense isn't getting off the field. So they're not giving the ball back to Justin Herbert in the offense enough where they can make some of these mistakes and have more opportunities. And I think that's the issue you have right now. The other thing I'll bring up with the offense in terms of the inconsistencies is they are injured on the offensive line. 
They lost Brian Bulaga after week one, which was inevitable and expected, and that really wasn't a huge loss. But then Ode Ibushi went down, the right guard that they signed in for agency. He tore his ACL on a freak play, like pretty much a non-contact play, like 10, 15 yards downfield. Um, he's out for the season. And they end up signing Michael Schofield off the street to replace Ode Ibushi. That right side has had some issues. You know, the Patriots game, it was a massive issue. Um, and then this past week against Denver, they gave up 19 pressures, 19 pressures. That's a season high. That's, and Justin was doing his best to make plays off script, but that's not sustainable. That's not tenable. And the, and then Matt Filer in that game, he was inactive with an ankle injury and they started Senio Calamete, who they signed off the practice squad from the 49ers in October. So you have a guy off the street playing right guard, a guy off the practice squad playing left guard and Storm Norton at right tackle, who was in the, in the XFL two years ago. And so, you know, when you have drops, when you have penalties, when you have these protection breakdowns on crucial third downs, they're going to derail drives. And when you don't have a lot of room for error because of the third down defense and not getting enough possessions, that's how you end up with these, you know, jarring swings in in terms of the consistency of the offense. So it sounds like this game is really going to be on Justin's shoulders because the Bengals have been great at getting pressure, and if that's where the Chargers struggle, and then the Bengals have been great at running the ball, and again, that's another area where the Chargers struggle, it, it, it might come down to just Justin Herbert making plays in this game. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem with this team right now is if Justin goes out there and plays like an all-pro quarterback, they win football games. But he's only made 27 starts. He's 23 years old. Like, we're still talking about a really young quarterback. To put that much pressure on a young quarterback's shoulders is not really a good way to go about game planning, to go about operating as a football team. I mean, you point to that Steelers game. 380 yards passing, 90 yards rushing. They still only won the game by four points. They needed a 53-yard touchdown at the end to pull that game out. So that's what you're talking about. Like, if Justin goes out and plays lights out, they're going to win, right? But he's still young and he's still going to have moments, particularly against good defensive coordinators, where he's just not that player. Now, I think he will be that player consistently down the road, but he just hasn't banked enough experience like I was talking about earlier. And when you go up against the Bill Belichicks of the world, the Wink Martindales of the world, the Mike Zimmers of the world, the Vic Fangers of the world, they're going to make it really hard on your young quarterback and you're going to need other players to step up. You're going to need this defense to step up. You're going to need your all pro level wide receivers and running backs to catch the football when it's thrown their way. And I think that's sort of what we're looking at with Justin and just how much is on his shoulders with this team. All right, so six and five, one game out of first in the AFC West, uh, sitting in the seven seed spot right now. You say they're right where they need to be, but given the the two and four record over the last six, does it does it feel like this is a real pivot point where you know if they win, then they're right back on track. If they lose, it could be tough to climb out of. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, this is a massive, massive game for the Chargers because considering how tightly packed the AFC is right now, there's a huge difference between 6 and 6 and 7 and 5. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, like it's these head-to-head matchups are going to be really important in the tiebreakers, and then the AFC record is going to be really important in the tiebreakers. If, if it is, you know, Bengals and Chargers at the end, both at 10 wins, like this game is going to decide it. Um, the one thing I will say though, is the Chargers have been out of it by this time, the last two seasons, um, 19 and 20 were both lost seasons where they were out of the playoffs, you know, by Thanksgiving. So the fact that they are playing meaningful games in December is important. And that was my, that was my threshold before the season. Everyone's like, what is a successful season? Hmm. I'm like playing meaningful games in December. And that's a step forward. That's something that you can build upon. 
So even if they do fall out of it over this month, the fact that they're playing a meaningful game in December in Cincinnati, I think that's important. And it's not lost on the players who have been playing meaningless football at this time of year for the last two seasons. Yeah, I, very similar with the Bengals. I said the same thing. And I, I didn't, the people wanted to define success. And I said, if, if they are, if they are ascending, if, if they're getting better in December, it's not so much about the win total. It's getting better as the year goes on. And, um, they're off to a great start. A very important bet game for the Bengals as well, because just this, like you said, eight and four and seven, five look a lot different in this, this jumbled, um, AFC. Uh, Daniel, I know you're busy. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on with us and uh, look forward to seeing you in the press box on Sunday. Sounds good. I'll come uh, come say hello. Thanks for having me on. All right. Always good to hear uh, from Daniel Popper out in L.A. He'll make the long trip in here this weekend. And uh, hopefully it's not going to be too cold for him. So that's, that's nice. He's he, not going to be used to that rain thing, though. Yeah. No, you don't get that in L.A. or San Diego. <laughs> no. um, I. It was interesting. We chatted after the official interview ended and he's never been to Cincinnati before. And he was asking me about the chili. He's like, you know mm-hmm. what, what do I, I need to try it. And I said, well, go get something else Saturday night. I said, you're going to get chili at halftime. I said, it's gold star. It's not skyline. He's like, Oh no, I need, I need the skyline. He's like, I, I got to do both and compare them. And it just reminded me when I went to Philadelphia in 2012 to cover the Bengals Eagles Thursday night game. And, I couldn't decide between Geno's and Pat's and I had to get one of each and I ate them back to back and I, I regretted it for yeah. hours. <laughs> that does not uh, seem like a good decision to make. It, it was be better, not. Got to be better. Um, but yeah, um, he's, he's, he's looking forward to his first trip in and uh, I, I do, I, I, I know he's, he, all these guys are busy and really do appreciate him taking the time to jump on the pod with us every week. And he said some interesting things, you know, yeah. this Chargers defense is poor. They are amongst the worst in the league in stopping the run, and you see that when you watch them play. One thing that stood out to me is, you know, when you rewatch a few of their games, their edges, you know, what, and not not necessarily, I'm not necessarily defensive ends, but you know, guys trying to tackle on the outside. So some of the safeties that come up, corners, really struggle, and really get blown out, washed out, take poor angles, poor effort. You saw that a lot in the Denver game in particular. And it just blew in my mind about how good the Bengals receivers have been at blocking on the outside mm-hmm. and how much they've started to utilize those receiver screens. I would look for – I think you're going to see a lot of that and how much the Bengals have loved running mix into the outside. And he's ended up head on with a lot of safeties and corners on the outside and, and taking – giving them a pounding and you know it's the chargers bad defense seems to be a particularly poor fit against what the Bengals offense has evolved into yeah i agree and and like i said earlier they they, they've been bad on third downs too they cannot get off the field and if 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 the Bengals can get some decent wide receiver screens early and then get into a lot of third and shorts they they can really control the clock in this game. They can they can beat them on the edge. They can beat them up the middle. It it doesn't feel like a good matchup for the Chargers. It's it's I mean that the number started at two and a half. It's up to three now. It it, it feels like maybe it should be a little bit higher. It just this really feels like a a game that's there for the Bengals to take. I wrote about this this week. Talked about it a little bit on Tuesday though. The X factor to me in this one is. 
what is this defense? Mm. They're good. They have done a really good job of throttling poor offenses because they've mostly played poor offenses. You look at the DVOA, the offensive DVOA of the teams that they've played, the Vikings at eight right now and the Packers at five are the only two offenses they have faced in the top 10. And yet almost everybody they're going to be facing down the stretch, two this week with the Chargers, three next week with the Niners, six with the Chiefs in a few weeks. They'll probably be higher than that by then. And I mean, even Denver is ranked in the top 15. It is judgment day for this defense. The time, and and, you know, you look back, I, I went back and looked at how the Bengals performed against the three opponents, Green Bay, Minnesota, and then Cleveland also, who's 13th in in overall offensive DVO. The only teams they have played this year that offensively are in the top half and how they performed against those three compared to how the rest of the league has performed against those three. And they were far below average in almost every major metric against them. Does that mean they won't be better this time? No. To me, it means we don't know how good this team is going to be against the best offenses in this league, which is who they're going to face the rest of the regular season and if they make the playoffs. To to me, that's the X factor. How good is this defense? And I don't know that we know that for sure. I think there's a lot of optimism. I think you like the way they've played against teams that have issues. Jesse Bates said it perfectly on Wednesday. It seems like everything we've played this year has like one problem to worry about on (laughs) offense. And this one is not like that. They got Keenan Allen. They got Eckler out of the backfield. The nightmare. Mike Williams deep. You never want to, you know, you're worried about that. Herbert can wing it all over the place. Most of the teams they've played this year have one problem to worry about. And now they're going to play a bunch of teams that have a bunch of problems to worry about. How do they handle that? Will it look like Devontae Adams catching 217 yards and Aaron Jones running off into space because of missed tackles? It could. And that's not out of the question. And that's why I think, you know, it's all eyes on the defense this week and next week because San Francisco, in a different way, will prevent uh, will present major issues for this defense. Yeah, because Eckler could very easily look like Michael Carter from the mm-hmm. Jets and Mike White. And, and don't forget, everybody talks about the receivers the Chargers have, but Jared Cook is a big, strong, physically imposing tight end, and and the Bengals have historically struggled with those type of guys too. So there, there's a ton of weapons. You've got a great quarterback in Herbert. You're right. It's this that, that that's where this game is probably going to be won. And they they've had they've been able to force turnovers, and, and Herbert's thrown double digits interceptions. He's right there behind Burrow. Um, if if they can if they can get a couple turnovers in this game it, it feels like that's going to be key because it is it's it, the, the Chargers probably aren't going to have that many possessions because I, I feel the Bengals are really going to dominate this game time of possession wise and the Chargers are going to have to make the most out of every single possession they get and if the Bengals can end a couple of those in turnovers and that's what makes it such a huge game too because yeah they're they're rolling right now but as you said this is now judgment day when they start playing these good offenses and if 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 the chargers come in here and roll them you it's got to be in the back of their mind that uh uh-oh what is this defense really good enough for us to win and on the flip side if they beat a really quality offense to go eight and four just like we talked about early in the year you get a young team you get some early success everything starts rolling you get the confidence that would really boost this defense's confidence to have three straight strong games and 
you've got all those other great offenses coming. Particularly against a great quarterback. Like yeah. I think they're 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 more built to stop the run with the guys they have up front. You know, Trey Hendrickson is an incredible pass rusher, but the the primary strength of the rest of their defensive line is is stopping the run. They do a great job of it, uh, it almost across the board, and so they're more built to be maybe stop a team. And, and like guys like Hilton, they tackle right. I mean, you know, they're 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 aggressive on the edge. Cheeto, same way. They're they're instinctive out there, um, but in coverage, we've seen them get lit up at times, and so you wonder like. What will it look like when Herbert starts trying to open it up and let it rip? And to me, that's the question of this game. Can they keep Herbert under 30, under 25, under what will that number look like? Because I think the Bengals will be in the low 30s, you know, but what what does the Bengals defense do? Will they lose 35 to 34? Mm-hmm. Will it look like uh, Bengals Browns at home last year? Who has the ball last? I think that's really kind of the question of this one. Um Let's get into a run passer boot. Jay, you got a run passer boot. I do. This one, um, I, I think it, it's another one of those ones that is is telling for how this game is going to play out. So it's Joe Mixon yards per carry plus receptions or Justin Herbert yards per attempt or Bengals third down conversions. Which way are you going to go? Okay, uh, I am going to kind of plot Herbert at 8-4, okay, for yards per attempt. And I'm going to plot total Bengals third down conversions at 8. And I'm going to plot mixing yards per carry plus receptions at 9. So that's running with Joe Mixon passing on Herbert's yards per attempt, and booting Bengals' third total third-down conversions. But excellent run passer boot, Jay. These numbers are all, you know, where you'd expect them to be, right next to each other. Yeah, Herbert currently is at 7.4. I, I think it's going to be higher this yeah. week against that Bengals defense. I don't think it's, it's going to be anything crazy, but I, I, I would think he would be in that eight range too. Um, I'm, I'm torn between the other two because – you know, you figure Mixon's going to be somewhere in that four or five range, so it comes down to how many catches does he get. He had four last week for minus two yards, which is amazing. I don't know how you can catch four passes and, and have negative yardage. But I, I feel like we'll see more of that, especially if, if Chris Evans can't go and it's, you know, Puka's in there as kind of an emergency. I, I, I could see Joe getting five, six catches in this game. So for that reason, I'm going to run with him. Um, I do think the third down conversions are going to be high because the, the Chargers are terrible at it and, and the bank, they're terrible at stopping the run. So the Bengals should be in a lot of third and shorts. Um, but I, I still, I, I would have Mixon maybe in the 12 range and I'll go third down conversions in the, in the nine range and then Herbert around eight. So same order as you. Okay. All right, Jay. I will hand over the Bengals growler bet to you. This is your baby. <laughs> you you are embracing it. I would just point out if when you'd like to make your submission, I should make people have to email this to you, Jay. But I won't. I'll still take it on. Uh, hashtag Bengals growler bet on Twitter, and we will see it. If you want to put in your submission or email me, p daner p d e h n e r at theathletic.com for your submission, Jay. The floor is yours. We're making it hard enough on these guys, so it, we won't change up the email address. 
you can still email Paul, but Paul, if you want to forward them to me, I'll, I'll take care of it because I, I love this so much. I'm really looking forward to All it. Right. Um, so this is in, in honor of today being palindrome day. We have a palindrome growler bet, and it's also listener's choice. So what, what I've done here, there are five categories you can pick from, but whichever one you pick, your answer has to be a palindrome. So good chance that none of these even end up in a palindrome and nobody gets beer, but you've got five to pick from. And the five are combined total yards of offense by the Bengals and Chargers. So you want to go 767. That's a palindrome. That's the way you can go. The other one, combined scoring yardage. And that's the length of every TD and field goal in this game. The third, <laughs> the third one is Burrow passer rating plus Justin Herbert passer rating. So it you got to have the decimal point in there. Got to be a palindrome. <laughs> Fourth one, I think, is the easiest one to win. Um, but we will see. It, 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 again, it, it may not end in a palindrome. But there's if you look at what is kind of the average, the way this, this plays out, I think this is the one that a lot of people might pick. It's Bengals time of possession. And 30 minutes and three seconds would seem like a, a very good pick, but you, maybe you want to go a different direction. And the last one has to be a palindrome. Remember, announced attendance at the game. <laughs> this is like so ridiculous. All I know is I just hope that none of these end up being a palindrome so I don't have to sort through all of the answers that you've made people have to uh, have to submit in different ways with different categories. I mean, Twitter's easy enough. If, if one of them ends up in a palindrome, then you just you, you search the column for that palindrome and see That's if true. anybody got it. Now, if you want to put me in charge of finding the so closes, then but even then, I don't think it, there won't be any so closes because if you're going palindrome, it's not, not like you can be one off because it won't be a palindrome if you're one off. All right, let me take my shot, Jay. I'm going to go attendance. I'm going 61,116 look on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. That's a no sellout. So that and a little bit less than what they had for the Chargers. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the they're going to have a sellout. So I'm going to no, try to go either. with a low number. Um, you know, if, you, if go, you happen to be the person in the Bengals ticket office that puts out whatever number they decide is going to be, you know, you wanted to make it a palindrome, you, you probably could maybe do that if you want to fudge <laughs> a number a couple. Of <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if Sunday was the palindrome day, maybe they would do that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go because I love this idea and I've always wanted to do one, two, where we do. Uh, combined jersey numbers of everybody that scores a touchdown in the game. <laughs> but um, uh, So I'm going to do the – because it's not a number you can just look at the box sheet or the box score and, and, and see what it ended up. It's I'm going to go with combined scoring yardage, touchdowns and field goals. I'm going to go 212. All right. 212. I love it. Um. All right, Jay. <laughs> now that we've, we've again hashtag Bengals Growler bet uh, p Daner at theathletic.com for your submissions. I know you've had to re-listen to this portion uh, uh, like eight times to make sure you have all have the question and everything set up correctly. So if you win, you can wish some delicious, delicious 
50 West beer, which I was just down there, went ice skating with uh, my daughter on this past weekend. It was fantastic. The tents that they have are huge. And like when you're inside them, you don't even know how cold it is out there. The tents that they have set up are great to stay warm when you're not ice skating. The ice skating setup is fantastic. Shout out to my daughter who didn't need the training thing. The like training holder, like the walker that they give you when you're out there skating. First time she skated all on her own, sort of. With a, with a hand with mom, but still. So very fun night. Uh, great time is always down there. So get down there and uh, maybe you'll have some free beer waiting on you if you win. So I, I'm glad you said with mom because I was afraid you laced up. I was like, that would not, ice skating is probably not on the rehab schedule quite yet from the No, di- have not <laughs> been cleared uh, three weeks out of uh, fusion back surgery to go ice skating. No, that is not, <laughs> that's not been cleared. Um, all right, let's get to predictions for Sunday. Uh, Jay, what do you got? Uh, I agree with you. I think the Bengals are going to cross 30. Um, I'm, I'm going to go Bengals 31, Chargers 26. Okay. Uh, I have Bengals 34, Chargers 28, uh, and um, they, they hold on to win and and move to eight and four, and welcome the 49ers the next week. And you know a fun part of the season continues. I think I think the way their offense is going, I don't see any slowdown happening with that. It's going to be about this defense holding up and us learning a lot about this defense on Sunday. Uh, and I think it'll it'll be the most telling aspect of this game. Maybe that tells you what I'll write about, Jay. <laughs> Maybe I already know. Maybe I already start writing my defense story today. No, don't do that because you know it'll it that never works out well. Yeah, that's when something to, really bad happens the other way. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> or something really good, but you yeah. still have to rip up your story, and that's bad. Yeah, you're right. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We, of course, will have the walkout after the game on Sunday. And we'll be excited to recap everything that happens on the Paul Brown Stadium. So hope everybody has a very good weekend and enjoys the game. And we will talk to you after it. Have a good one, everybody. Mm-hmm.